This week on Excelsior Journeys, my guest is one of the most recognizable and beloved voices in animation over the past several decades. Michael Bell is a voice actor, on-screen actor, voice teacher, and voice director, and has brought to life characters on Super Friends, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Voltron, Smurfs, Snorks, Rugrats, and so many more. And he is the perfect example of someone who has made their mark in their chosen field while preparing those who would be that field's future. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And if you've been enjoying this show, please check out its homepage at he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. Any share on social media, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or click on the Buy Me a Coffee link is eternally appreciated. It's been over 90 episodes so far. We're getting very close to the big 100, which is scheduled to launch on August 10th. And if you heard last week's show and know what's going on on the horizon, then Hopefully you're half as excited for as I am for that. Now, for those of you who know me, know that I have what I call four quadrants of creativity that are always in motion. There's the writing, there's the audiobook narrating, there is the podcasting, of course, and there's the voice acting. Like many who've been trying to break into this business, voice acting has been with me since childhood. I've always dreamed of being in front of a microphone, bringing 2D and 3D characters to life through my voice. And growing up in the 80s, there was, to borrow a phrase from El Guapo, a plethora of shows to enjoy that all featured some very familiar voices. And let me run down some titles for you for this week. We have Smurfs, The Incredible Hulk, Super Friends, Challenge of the GoBots, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Voltron, Defenders of the Universe, Centurions and Humanoids, Gem, Snorks, and so many more in the decade before and the decades after. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention shows from the 90s like Darkwing Duck and Rugrats. Now, if you watched any, some, or all of these shows, my guest this week is going to sound very familiar. Michael Bell is one of the most beloved voice actors of this or any generation. He's been a part of this world for decades and continues to bring his passion and talent to one project after another to this day. As either a voice actor, an on-screen actor, a voice director, and or a voice teacher. And if that weren't enough, the man is also a lover and supporter of animals everywhere. And he's affiliated with charities such as the Fur and Feather Animal Sanctuary and Paw Project. You can find more information by clicking on the links in the show notes. So if Michael and his story won't inspire you to follow your dreams, I don't know what will. It's truly an honor to have him here this week. And without further ado, please allow me to introduce to you Michael Bell. Michael, how are you, sir? What an intro. I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And I understand that that there is you have uh, you have some voice teaching that's that's happening on the horizon. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm starting my classes, my third class in July, my third Zoom class. I'm hoping maybe after this is over, we can all get together. I can work with people directly. But for the moment, we're doing Zoom, and my third voice animation class begins in July. Got a couple Excellent. of openings. Got a couple of openings. And where can our listeners uh, find that that link in order to sign up? They can go to I think it's called Mike 
Michael Mike Bell on Mike at gmail.com or Michael Bell Voices.com, Michael Bell, whatever, you'll find me. <laughs> Excellent. Now, one of the things that I like to I love to uh, talk about on this show is what I like to call the lightning bolt moment. There's always that moment that makes someone want to say, like, that's the, the direction I want to go in. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the person I want to be. Now, when it for for you, was it acting or voice acting that came first for you? It was acting. Yeah, I've always wanted to be an actor ever since I was five years old. It's, yeah. it's, this wasn't a, gee, this, wouldn't this be fun? It's, mm-hmm. it's just something I felt was in my bones. And uh, I went to the high school of performing arts in Manhattan instead of the regular school. Everybody went to high school in their local area in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned for and made the high school of performing arts, went there for four years. And graduated and worked at a myriad of jobs just to, to stay alive for that period of time. And then went to California to break into movies, which didn't take place until yeah. I went into my 30s. And, and then was fortunate, met some wonderful people who made it possible for me to get a contract at Universal Studios. And I wound up doing a lot of on-camera shows and during that during the 70s, a guest starring, and then got involved in voiceovers through a young lady I met named Joni Gerber, one of the top voice ladies in the business. We went together for a period of time. And she said, Mikey, you you can do all these characters and you'll never get that opportunity to play those characters on screen. That probably won't happen. You'll be doing, you'll be working, but you're not going to play the stuff that you want to play. It would be heroes, uh, you know, evil guys, whatever it is, you won't forget to do that. So she said, you want to do what I do, which is voices. I said, okay, let's give it a try. And so I did an audition and gave it to uh, the agent, Bud Davis at that time with CESD, Cunningham S. Company. And mm-hmm. he said, I think you've got a career ahead of you. And the rest for me, not that it's important to the world, but the rest for me is history. Excellent. Excellent. And so what was, uh, you said that you wanted to be an actor since you were five. What was, uh, was there like a certain movie or, or a show or something that you saw that just made you say like, I, I want to do that. I'd go to the movies all the time. I, I lived in Brooklyn, so we go to the Lowy's 46th Street. Nice. And I, I wasn't just watching movies. I was in another world. I'd be crazy enough, Tarzan with John. Really? Bumba. I wanted to be Bamba. I wanted to ride that elephant, which of course we wouldn't do today. Nobody rides elephants in a human. Right. But I wanted to be in the jungle. I wanted to be with the chimp. I loved all that stuff. And then, of course, after that, seeing... Other movies, swashbuckling films. I wanted to be Errol Flynn. I loved the idea of that. So it wasn't as if I watched a film and said, oh, at that point I was a kid. I did yeah. with great acting. It was just so exciting and adventurous. It's what I wanted to do. And, nice. uh, and as I got older, then, of course, I attached myself to other actors, you know, that mm-hmm. are extraordinary actors that I wanted to be like, as it were. Yeah. And, you know, continued on from there. Excellent. Excellent. So, so tell us about that first time that you actually like got behind a microphone and really kind of got comfortable doing that. What was that? What was that? Actually, I like? wasn't comfortable. I, I got behind a mic and it was for a commercial. The agent had booked me for a commercial mm-hmm. and I was so nervous that I forgot to breathe. And really? It was for a wine commercial, a radio commercial. And literally I could feel myself hyperventilating. I was so excited. I didn't breathe. Mm-hmm. I, to this day, I remember that physically, remembering getting through the session. It was okay. It all worked. They didn't know. And I left the studio and I literally thought I was going to pass out. Wow. Is that something that you always make sure to remind your students about? 
absolutely remind remind the students to breathe above all breathe mm-hmm. you get so excited it's, it may be a new job it may be in you may be fortunate and get yourself an animated series or at least a guest spot and you're there and you're surrounded by all these sensationally talented people and you get caught up in it and if you don't breathe you're in a lot of trouble so when so what was the um, transition like from going from commercials? Did you do like radio spots as well and then move over into did, animated? Did a ton of radio spots. I worked for, did a lot of record spots, promoting oh. records, promoting um, albums for Herb Alpert and his company. Uh, yeah, oh, wow. It was built by Charlie Chaplin at that point. And mm-hmm. That was the old Charlie Chaplin studio in La Brea. And I wound up doing that. My agent was really great, but Dave's rest his soul had to sell me. I was a new talent. There was some, you know, some good young talent out. And they called for a particular actor, and he wasn't available with that with them in their stable. And he said, Well, I'd like you to try Michael Bell. They said, We don't want to try anybody new. He said, I'll tell you what, I have such faith in this kid. Kid, I'm not, why don't you have it? Let him do it. And if you like him, you don't even have to pay him. Hmm. You can do it, you can do it on the cup. Don't have to pay him. And they said, Sure, great. So I went there and I, I did this promo for, for an album and uh, she called up. She said, we're going to pay him and we're going to continue to use him. And I went up doing a ton of work for them. Oh, wow. Wow. So as you were getting the more experience with that, did that help kind of get you into the foray of animated? It did eventually. Yeah. What I wound up doing was I was able to alter my voice at that point, which was really great. Yeah. And I was doing a very famous spot for Parquet for craft where I'd just say, better. That was you? Yeah. No kidding. Oh, that's so cool. I remember that. I remember that. That was so awesome. Oh, my God. I, all right. I'm definitely making sure that my mother and my sister are aware of this. <laughs> I did that. So, and then I wound up getting an award for a, a period of a, a whole bunch of spots for Mug Old Fashioned Root Beer, which was very funny. So this is your this is your one-minute training, gorilla training lesson for the day. And it was really great. It was everywhere. <laughs> Potamus, a snake, an octopus, whatever. And then that year came out and they said the award this year, the Clear Awards were shared for best announcer of the year. Yeah. Orson Welles, Max von Sydow, Robert Morley, and Michael Bell. Wow. And I thought, I imagine Orson Welles calling up those guys saying, what the fuck is Michael Bell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Little did he know that years later he would be on your turf. Yeah, so. we- yeah, my turf, exactly. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. So, so as so with all of that that's happening, when did you when which which wound up being like your first venture into animation? I think, and it's hard for me to remember. I think it was done. I think it was Oliver Twist and the Artful Dodger for Hanna Barbera. Oh, okay, it sort of came together at the same time, but approximately that might have been it. And I remember reading for it, and it was actually it was the Artful Dodger, and mm-hmm. uh, they read a lot of English actors and English singers, and Davy Jones was his soul from the Monkees as well. Oh, wow! And I wound up getting it um, for whatever strange reason, since I don't sing. Yeah, you, I'll tell if you see Oliver Twist and the Artful Dodger. You'll see <laughs> <laughs> but the. Uh, they said, uh, let's, let's, and I wound up sort of being a fave over there and wound up doing a lot of stuff for them and for Marvel and all the other shows that I did. And yep. so, uh, yeah, I, I kept, I kept pretty busy. That's excellent. And I, I still remember very vividly hearing your voice as young Lex Luthor 
in on challenge of the super friends yes. during the during the time when he had that luscious hair <laughs> that wonderfully thick hair that that he that he had until superboy made that critical error that was uh, that was very that was very historic and from what i understand like that was that was directly from one of the uh, one of the comics from back in when superboy was was being published back in the day did you know that you know like you were going to be recreating such like a such a moment in in history or is it just like just basically kind of looking at the script not a clue i mean i i read comics voraciously as a kid yeah and, you know oddly enough one of my favorite characters other than captain marvel which i was crazy about and, and superman which i was crazy about mm-hmm. one of my faves was a plastic man i loved reading plastic man so oh yeah later when i wound up getting the voice went wow this is this is serendipity yeah and did you feel like any sort of pressure to be to do that, or was it just like, no, this is a dream come true. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And and they said, uh, what do you want to do with his voice? And I said, I kind of give him that kind of that quality that that I that get smart had the character get smart, you know that kind of thing. You know, just make him a little wise guy. And they said, mm-hmm. yeah, we like that. Let's do that. There was there was not the pressure that they have now. I mean, they 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 enjoyed and appreciated the talent then and they weren't celebrities at that point it was just people that they felt could get the job done and that that you definitely did and just like just like everyone in that group like that's that's really like kind of you know just looking at it now looking at the credits list it's like a who's who of everyone that i know the people in my age you know like grew up with and so like hearing you know seeing those names it's just like i know you know like that that person that person that person just like kind of going down the list it's fantastic so so as it goes in into the from the 70s, like into the 80s, by the early 80s, you've already gotten like a lot of a lot of credits under your belt, correct? For for everything that Hanna-Barbera was able to do to keep you busy. And then all of a sudden, Griffin Bacall and Sunbow Productions comes around with with their with this five part miniseries. Right. Well, G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Right. And now when tell us about tell us about how that came about because you wound up getting essentially the lead role in this big ensemble cast as Duke. I think it was a roll of the dice. I yeah. got to be honest with you. I, I don't think I had any special qualities to play Duke. I think there were some wonderful voices out there, much deeper voices, much grainier voices, but for whatever reason, they said, yeah, we, we, we like that voice. That's the voice you want for, for Duke, which was, cool for me because he was a main character yeah and, and of course they threw other characters at us then mm-hmm. they okay then you want to do major blood I went, okay and i had a chance to be versatile and now we're yeah. going to do martin tomax they're going to play tomax and i said oh, okay i think i was tomax maybe i was zaymont I don't oh zaymont zaymont yeah Zaymont. and of course yeah. uh cory was a tomax and mm-hmm. i said okay what do i do with that and now you do this other character. I said, okay subsidiary character you could, you could do three characters at that time mm-hmm. in your contract. They got yeah. you three characters for one price. Which is, it's pretty so genius, they, the way so that they did saved, that too. Saved, they saved on paying two other actors to do the roles. Yeah. So they got people that could stretch. And that's what we did. We did that for a living. So yeah. And I remember, I and like, obviously, like once, you know, once I really got a hold of which actors were doing which, it was, you know, hearing your voice was very, very identifiable as Duke. But only recently did I hear, did I realize that, that you had done the voice of Major Blood. 
And when I, when I, as soon as I heard that, as soon as I saw that credit, I just like thought the character, the character voice went in my head. I was just like, why didn't I hear that before? Like that, yeah, that's, that was a perfect voice too. And how fun was it to play that sort of character, that sort of mercenary? He's got an eye patch, he's got a metal arm and he's got this really, you know, like amazing accent. So like, how fun was it to play a character like that? It was a guess. It's always more fun playing the heavy than yeah. the hero for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. you know, the thing about it was so funny because when I went into voiceover, I never got to really play the hero on camera. Yeah. I guest starred on television shows, but I wasn't the hero because mm -hmm. I was hero, you know, fodder, whatever it was. Right. And so I thought, oh, I get to play heroes when I do voiceovers. And I wound up playing heavies as well as some heroes, but heavies and this is where the fun is. <laughs> you know, all those characters. That's, <laughs> that's where all the fun is, is playing the heavy. So yeah. And and it's and it's got and uh, thankfully the voice of the voice of someone like Major Blood, he's not what I I believe I'm not sure if Neil Ross coined the term throat ripper, but somebody that you can was a, was it kind of the kind of voice you can really kind of ease into and then just have a lot of fun doing that for several hours? Yeah, it was. It, it was. There was no problem playing Major Blood. I've done Throat Rippers. In fact, I, I think called Hearthstone, which is with it's a video game for World of Warcraft. And oh, a bit of a Throat Ripper, and I, I do that on occasion, once a year or twice a year. Wow. So, uh, it's a character called Cthulhu. And it's a wonderful video game when they play cards, and it's really bizarre. But yeah. that's Throat Ripper. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so little in the Throat Rippers. I try to avoid as much as I can, but that character I've already established, so I can't say no. I don't want to say yeah. no. And then the next year, in 84, just as uh, you know, they're getting another miniseries going with, uh, with G.I. Joe, with the Revenge of Cobra. And at that same time, there's another toy property coming, in, coming into prominence, which would be Transformers. Now with that one, you know, like you were able to get in there right from the start with uh, with the character Prowl. So, what was uh, what was that experience like getting getting involved with that? Is that Prowl? Prowl, <laughs> little oh, that's great. Oh, that's so cute. I love it. We had a convention, so. Oh, that's so cute. That is that is fantastic. So what what was it like like when you when you saw that character? Did you just like see it and then have to? kind of come up with the right voice or did Griffin McCall or everyone just kind of tell you about the character and what what kind of character you wanted to? Yeah, they told us about the character and I thought, you know, who, and this is how I teach as well, who would have done this on camera? Mm -hmm. But a young Clint Eastwood would have done mm -hmm. this. So I modified, you know, it's my voice, but I modified the, the um, phrasing as it were because yeah. he, He's got this slight sarcastic thing that he drops, you know, like bucket of bolts, whatever that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I use close to my voice, it's my voice, but it's still attitude is a little bit different. I'm yeah, sorry, he, he, defi he definitely comes off as one of the like the lieutenants yeah. in the in all the Autobots. So and you know, he definitely has like a harder edge than say like his than say Blue Streak does. Mm -hmm. You know, which I believe that was Casey Kasem, correct? It's Casey Casey Kasem. This is one thing. This is what I have to I have to throw this by you because I'm I was just thinking about this this past week. What an opportunity they missed by not having one of those moments where Spike is in is in the car, either Prowl or Jazz or whoever. Music is blaring and then it cuts off and it says and you have Casey Kasem's voice saying that was Colt Slither, you know, and and 
you know, now on with the countdown. <laughs> right, exactly. That would have been funny. That would have been yeah. funny. They, they, you know, I guess they didn't want to use a modern day approach or whatever it was because it's it's still fun. It's still silly, cartoony, whatever. They yeah. Didn't want, they didn't want any association. They would do it today. Today it would be done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's there's always like that sort of slight edge to to the animation these days. Just sure. making sure that the the parents have a little bit of a little bit of fun as well, since they're sitting there watching it with the kids. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so and it was during that uh, also during that first season where a couple of I would say throat rippers really kind of you know came into prominence for you, and that would be uh, Swoop from the Dinobots and. Scrapper from the Constructicons. Yes. What was it like playing uh, those kinds of characters? There, it was. It was. I can't say difficult because you know, difficult to me is working in a factory is difficult. Yeah. It was a little bit harder than the stuff I usually do because I had to really do that, as Neil says, throat ripper. I had to do a lot of. I mean, I did it years ago in Fundar the Fundar. Oh, the Barbarian, yeah. Barbarian for Hannah Barbera. And I guessed it on that. And I was a lot of screaming, a lot of, blah, 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 blah. that's, I said, oh, let's not do that anymore. Then <laughs> Scrapper, I know, okay, fine, I got to do that again. Okay. Yeah. Thank God, I, listen, I couldn't have done Starscream, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So speaking of which, you know, like with all, with this kind of talent in those studios, first of all, what was it like working with Wally Burr on those? Wally was cool. Wally knew what he wanted, rest his soul. Yeah. But he was a tough taskmaster. He probably, given the opportunity, if they said, Wally, you get to play every role in this, he would have done it because he loved acting. And we and he had a wonderful sense of humor. We could say whatever we wanted to Wally and he would never take it personally. Yeah. Uh, he would, we were sometimes very sarcastic with Wally. <laughs> we really gave him a hard time but he was a real gentleman about it and he joked about it in fact i i used to kid about it you probably have heard the story mm -hmm. when the movie transformers and they had Orson wells i said can i sit in can i i want to be there he said no mike and we've already made this everybody has to stay out just the engineers and me and i said well come on I'll make believe i'm an engineer i'll do stuff over here I'll, you know i'm with the thing he said no no i said okay and i heard from somebody who was there yeah. that at one point Wally gave Orson Welles a line reading. Oh, no. And uh, this Don't you know, do that. Let's <laughs> do that. Give us line readings. And of course, we would go, Wally, come on, whatever. Right. And, and of course, Orson Welles said, Wally, are you giving me a line reading? Oh, boy. Said, no, 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 absolutely not. No, no, no. And I said, so to some degree, he gave Orson Welles not a hard time, but, you yeah. know, but I let the word get out when Orson Welles died that Wally killed him. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I got back to Wally. Wally said, did you say? I said, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, it's true. I kind of thought you did by giving Orson Welles a line reading. That, that could kill him. <laughs> you could just picture that unicron roar, you know, coming, coming from him as soon as he said that. Falling <laughs> off the chair. Yeah. So, so, so you, you're working with Wally Burr and you also have like this, you know, again, a who's who of all these amazing voice actors. And, for a while from, if I'm not mistaken, you were positioned near Chris Lotta, correct? Yeah. yeah. What was it like working with someone like him? Because he was definitely someone beyond, you know, like the typical, you know, voice actor. The way, if, the way that he can come up with that voice and sustain it for as long as he has. And it was loud. You know. and you, when you work next to, next to him, you needed a windshield. Yeah. 
you really need to have a big piece of plastic between you and him because he would throw himself into it and he yeah. got so caught up and he, and he sweat something fierce. And first of all, it was a very tiny room we were in. Yeah. And in about 10 or 12 of us or 13 was jammed into this little room for eight hours Oof. with a break, obviously. Yeah. And after a while, you know, I said, guys, I'm growing mushrooms on my chest here. <laughs> I, got, I got to get out and breathe. Yeah. And, and, he, and Chris would literally ah, do his thing and he'd go, ah, and, and literally his sweat would fly off and hit you. Oh, and, man. Oh, God, I'm not going to get through 17 shows, 20 shows, now 30 shows, now 80 shows. Yeah. So I used to try to shuffle him next to other people. Nice. Good, good move there. And it sounds like uh, Chris was definitely, was definitely ahead of his time. Cause now we have like all those plastic, you know, covers and everything separating everyone from everyone. It's just like, Chris, now, you went too soon, man. You went too soon. You know? went too soon. He sure did. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and he was also a stand up. So he, he yeah. stand up the night before and he was, um, he was troubled to some degree. Mm -hmm. but boy, yeah. He certainly was talented. Yeah, I saw his an each feature he did on like an, on an HBO special. I mean, like uh, Shatner introduced him, and mm -hmm. and it was very like it was very, very much like the style of like, you know, funny to to the border of being uncomfortable because like you just you didn't want to be like the kind of person who was sitting like right in front because you knew he was going to look at you and just tear you apart. But uh, but he, yeah, it definitely had an edge about it. But at the same time, it was still like, you know, it was really, it was really funny. You know, Chris really was, like you said, incredibly talented. And, talented. you know, you know, just it, it would have it would have been great to have him around here with this, you know, with uh, with this rebirth, really, of of all these franchises. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so you're working with with all the all these different people. And then in now in 86, and this is something that we'll be able to talk about in August, but along comes Transformers the movie. And what was the situation like working in that? Because I understand that the they set it up, they set up the voice acting a little differently with that one. Well, we worked by ourselves. Yeah. That was the difference. I mean, I don't know if anybody else worked with anybody else together, but I worked by myself. I didn't have that much to do in the movie. I don't think, I think Brown said hi and then died. Uh, yeah, that, that, I remember see, I, you know, it's very vivid seeing that, that moment. I think McCall, I think they got together. They said, okay, let's kill Mike as Prowl and then let's kill him as uh, Duke. And they couldn't get him killing me as Duke. They had to bring me back. And they just, geez, just, let's just kill Michael Bell. Why don't we just. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that's what I like to kill most. But yeah, we worked by ourselves. We didn't work wow. with anybody else. And that's, that's always kind of difficult. But then that mm -hmm. became the, that became the um, standard procedure. As actors started to get real busy, they mm -hmm. just get them all in the same room. So that was the downside of being successful is that you've got to wind up working with yourself, by yourself, and mm -hmm. hopefully your response was was mandated by by what the person before you said. Mm, that's 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 a shame, really, because there really was just speaking as a fan, like a real energy about the about both shows, GI Joe and Transformers, and. You know, I, I think like having all the voice actors there kind of playing off of each other, I really think that really helped. Did you? Interesting. You also can improvise. Yeah. You can't improvise by yourself <clears throat> because there, when I, when I say improvise, I don't go way off of script, but some things that lend itself to the character. There might mm -hmm. be a term you might use. There might be just a, a, a verbal exclamation or there might be a huh or a yeah, but whatever. And then. <laughs> don't know what they said before that so right right and so 
Now, there was there was a story that you told, which I thought was really wonderful, on the one of the special features on the Transformers discs, where you were uh, you were dealing with, with a celebrity who was brought in to lend his voice, and he was very kind of down on himself, and you were able to give him some tips. If- yeah, this was it wasn't for Transformers though, it was mm-hmm. for a, an animated series, and a well-known actor was brought in. And uh, he was opposite me. It was a big studio. And I see that he wasn't familiar with doing voiceovers. I don't know why they brought him in because he was wonderful on camera, but his voice wasn't anything special, particularly. Mm-hmm. And he didn't sound like a hero, particularly, but they, they wanted, you know, someone famous. Right. Uh, and so I watched him working. And when you're doing voiceover, you have the script in front of you on your, on your uh, music stand mm-hmm. and you have it open. So you go from page one to page two and very carefully get to page three in case the rest of your sentence is on page four. Yeah. And page two. And I watched him take the paper and drop. Every time he finished something, he'd drop the script would come off and he would just drop it on the floor. Oh. And also, instead of reading into the mic, he would turn around and look at the other actor that was standing mm-hmm. alongside him. And I thought, yeah. that's, that's not going to work. He's going to be back for a lot of repeats. And they did. They had him back from the first segment. They, I knew he was going to have to do pickups. So he went to the bathroom during our break and I went to the bathroom and he's standing next to me and he goes, Jesus, I am shit. I am shit out there. I said to him, well, I can give you a suggestion, but you can't let the director know because that's not going to go over well. So he turned around to me and said, great, what is it? And I said, well, first, you're peeing on my shoe. (laughs) Faithfully, Bernal, and I'll tell you. And uh, I told him what to do in terms of the script, and he gathered his script together, and he, and I said, never look up. The script is here. It's right. The mic is right here. This is where all your characters are. It's 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 Wizard of Oz. It's Andy M. You're talking to the, into the crystal ball. It's right here. Don't look around. And he got through that second segment, and I could see the director talking to the producer behind, trying, doing all this, and it worked. So he went, thank you. And I said, yeah. But you see that, you know, it's it's no great shakes. It's it's not it's. it's that ain't brain surgery, but it's the basics that somebody should know when they go in. And I think often directors are afraid to tell the celebrities because they're big stars. Yeah. And that's, that's a perfect testament to how, from what I've seen and from what I've heard, you know, like how voice actors really are far you know, more generous than the typical actor. You know, if the fact that you're willing to give him that kind of, that kind of, assistance really says a lot about voice acting in general. I think that's wonderful that you were able to do that. I, as I said, I've done a lot of guests on a lot of television. Mm-hmm. I never, to my knowledge, work with an actor who basically does voices for a living and some of them do on camera, but voices for a living that were not gracious yeah. and helpful ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I not, cannot say the same for the actors that I work with. Some mm-hmm. of them are quite well known who are on camera stars. Not gracious at all. Yeah, that's a shame. Other than Raymond Burr, who is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> now, with that, since you you know have the experience working with celebrities, did you have you had celebrities? You know, you don't have to name names or anything, but have you had celebrities taking your class? Yes, I have a couple, and I had one celebrity who was an Academy Award winner who said, "I can't do this as mm. much." Not my class it was a private lesson. I yeah. said, "You can." No, I can't. This is immediate. This is instant preparing instant whatever i can do you give me the role and i'll do it i said i know i mean mm-hmm. 
But that is now it is when you're doing voiceover. They, they may not just give you the role. They want to know that you can play this witch, this warlock, this magic character. And yeah. they want to know that you're not going to take a lot of time in between the lines because you don't have the time, but still come up with the with the juice and being able to make it sound like it's like it's character. And, and she said, I, I just don't I, thank you for the time. I just, it's just not my milieu. And another was a well-known English actress, wonderful English actress that I grew up with, said, mm -hmm. how do you do this? I said, it's, it's really quite easy. It's like on camera, but you've got yeah. a mind. It's like yeah. on camera. I want you to take the same physicality that you do on camera. The same thing. Just remember the mic is here. You can't turn around. You can't do any of this. And she went, oh, my God. I said, you can do that. I've seen you do this in movies, I know, but it's different. I said, I know, but, you know, what can I say? Excellent. Yeah, I listen, there's a lot of well-known actors that are fine in terms of vocalizing, but they don't do any other characters. They only mm. hire them because they're a name, and that's it, you know. And yeah. we've, we, as uh, voiceover soldiers, fall by the wayside for, for the, to make room for the big stars. Which is a real shame because there's so much there's so much that you know that that these you know wonderfully talented voice actors can do that really just need need to get recognized by the by the producers that you know this is you know you you want the best right you want the very best for your you know yeah. for your movie or your television show or anything then you need to bring in the people that can do it. Hey, they want to meet celebrities. I watched to clock it and i know it sounds a little bitter but i watched the, the new rugrats uh, oh yeah and they replaced besides me but listen, right. it's their choice but they replaced some other actors who did some wonderful characters with some celebrities and mm. they were not as good anywhere near as good as the actors that i had worked with yeah in the original rugrats series and they couldn't do secondary voices and third voices they, there was no way they could come up with that. So they'd have to hire other actors to play a secondary voice or a third voice. So it cost them all money. So yeah. yeah, it's their choice. Hey, this is this is big business. So I'm not the boss. And they're and they're also risking turning off the fans that they want to kind of, you know, bring back because the whole thing is like whole point of having these sort of franchises where they are right now is to give the people that were kids when the show was originally on a chance to introduce their kids to it. And then you're like, so if they, if they don't have that sense of familiarity, then they're not going to feel connected to it. They're not going to. I wish you were right, George. I wish in a, in a perfect world, that would be correct. Yeah. I have a feeling that may not be the case only because of the success of the movies, Transformers, because they did not have other than Frank at the second movie, I think. And Peter, I think, in the first film, but they didn't. Oh, yeah, Peter. Yeah, Peter was in all five of the. Peter was in all five, but, but they had a lot of other actors that didn't do the originals, and uh, yeah, and also I think it was in Bumblebee. Yeah, uh, they could have used Dan Gilderson, who was brilliant as Bumblebee. There was mm -hmm. no to use the big superstar that they used because he was not that special. Yeah, uh, we, the Smurfs. They had the movie The Smurfs. They didn't use any of the characters who did the voices of the Smurfs. That's such a they shame. Attempt to do those voices. Didn't even attempt to do those mm. characters like Smurfette or uh, Handy or Lazy or Grout. They didn't attempt to even sound like that. They just used a celebrity and the films died. Those films died, but Transformers didn't. Transformers, yeah. huge success for, uh, for Bay.
and you know, I mean, I, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot there that I, you know, really appreciated as a fan, but it would have been great to have, to have the, those voices, like all I of them in there. I suggested to uh, Michael Bay's assistant, who was on the radio just before the show was yeah. out, movies about to be made. And I said, I have an idea. Why don't you call, why don't you have myself and Jack Angel and mm -hmm. Dan and, and some of the other guys have us as characters around, such as the old guy in the street, the old vagrant in the street, or yeah. somebody coming out of a store, or a guy who sells magazines saying, look at that, what the heck is that? And have us all sprinkled around and then introduce us as those characters at the end in the credits. Say, mm -hmm. oh, Michael Bell, um, a, a newspaper owner, Jack Angel, uh, Man in the Street, uh, Dan Gilbertson, whatever it is. And the crowd would love that. I said, because we're all actors anyway, so we're used to doing it on camera. And he said, great idea, but no, we're not going to do that. And I said, okay. Yes. So, it's 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 amazing just like I mean how they're they they you you they show signs of getting it you know like by bringing on Peter as Optimus and really I mean honestly who who else was going to be able to pull that off who's going to do that you know, in the, yeah. yeah I mean the, the and even 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 when there are moments that are so outside Optimus Prime's nature he still you know gave one hundred percent and it 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 gave gave us you know fans like the a real reason. To, to go in and I remember that first line that he that he said in that first movie I got chills I I sure. you know as as a fan I got chills and it sure. was it was amazing sure. it was absolutely amazing absolutely. you would yeah that makes yeah. sense well when I had called and I said you know are any of my characters and they said no we won't have Prowl in there and we're not going to have Swoop and we're not going to I said oh okay well then nice talking to you thanks right. for <laughs> I heard him on the radio talking about it so I managed to make contact he said Oh, Mike, how you doing? I'm such a fan. I watched the show, blah, blah, blah. But no, you're not going to be in it. Okay, have a good life. Yeah, yeah. And so with now, we we talked a little bit about Transformers the movie, but what was it like doing G.I. Joe the movie? Because from what I understand, like the production for that one, it was similar, but then a little different because I know like the product, they the budget itself was lower. Were you able to work with Don Johnson during that? Because no. not at all. Worked by myself. <clears throat> they said, Don Johnson's playing your brother. And I said, okay, cool. I mean, he's a nice actor. Uh, fine. And then they then they, they talked about money after that. And they said, mm -hmm. no, you're offering me two big Newtons and a chicklet. <laughs> character, and you're offering Don Johnson an island? No, that's not going to happen. They said, well, we'll get somebody else. I said, well, then you get somebody else. I don't know what mm -hmm. to tell you. So yeah. then finally settled on something, which was not anyway equivalent to what Don Johnson was getting. But I understand he's a movie star. Yeah. And then I was reading the script and I said, hey, it says I die. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. What the fuck are you killing me for? Kill Don Johnson. Don't <laughs> kill me. <laughs> because he shit with wow. Don Johnson. I'm I'm Duke. So mm -hmm. somehow or another, they must have got the word. I don't know. It wasn't for me. I'm sure I didn't change their mind, but somebody changed their mind. I went up going, <laughs> I'm alive. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they. I still remember the you know when when that happened. Like, I mean, it was all right there, and Buzz Dixon was even talking about how this this was all painted in you know to have Duke die, and then the last act was going to be all about basically kind of avenging Duke by you know by winning. But then that one little line, that little off screen line by Scarlet, he's gone into a coma, and yeah. I, I remember when I'm 11, I'm just like again, <laughs> See, he already went into a coma. <laughs> 
coma two. Yeah. Yeah. Coma two. Yeah. So, um, and I just, I was talking to, you know, some other GI Joe fans earlier this week. And I was saying how it would have been wonderful to be in the studio to see Burgess Meredith, this, you know, very, you know, thin five, seven, you know, like, I think it was like 79 or something or perform Globulus and not only perform it, but be magnificent in it. It's wonderful. He's a wonderful, he rest his soul. He was a marvelous actor. Marvelous. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. sensational. That was, that's part of the treat that I had was working with. I didn't work with him particularly, but mm-hmm. working when I was doing on camera for the most part. And then of course, eventually voiceover, but working with actors that I grew up with that I watched as a youngster, sitting starry-eyed in a, in a theater in Brooklyn, yeah. coming face to face. I mean, God, I work with Lana Turner. Mm. Lana Turner came over and introduced herself to me. I went, Hamana, Hamana. Oh my yeah. God, and, and big stars, major stars that, that I'd seen in movies. I was a fan. What can I say? I was a movie fan. Yeah. A TV fan also as well. Yeah. That's 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 fantastic. So like so we'll, so now I understand that in season four of the Transformers, the short the three part of the rebirth, that was where everything really kind of condensed because I know David Wise went on record saying that this was supposed to be five episodes, but then Sunbow came back to him and saying like we only have the budget for three, yeah. and I heard your voice quite a bit in there. I heard brainstorm. I heard Gort and. So it was definitely one of those situations well, where they had to. Gort. Only you know I did Gort. Of course I know you did Gort. <laughs> it's like I know, I know that voice anywhere. <laughs> so, um, and you know, like he- hearing that and everything, it's definitely sounds like they were really playing up that whole get a small group of guys to play a bunch of voices. Is that what's that what that uh, what that was like? Yeah, pretty much so. I would have to say pretty much that was the case. Yeah, yeah. I love when they plead poverty. They're doing successfully and and then and then and then. The uh, action figures are doing well, and then they plead poverty, and just it's goofy. It's just bad business practice. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden it just it's gone, like just just gone. The same, and then I know GI Joe came back briefly from under uh, Deke Entertainment. Were you part? Were you? Did you go along with that? I don't recall. I got to tell you, I must have a lapse of memory. I don't remember. I do remember at one point they were doing something when they did they did uh, transformers came back and they said we want you to come in to read for prowl mm-hmm. which was, i was a little embarrassed but i did i went and read for prowl and of course the uh, producers went oh my god i'm such a fan i grew up with you i'm so excited i can't stand it blah 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 and i didn't get it and then i i think i may have i did i did come back for gi joe and i think jason played me as a young man and i played his father Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was, I think it was Renegades or something like that. Right. Yeah, I remember, you know, seeing that. I was just like, that's, per- that's, that's how you do it. That is. Show. It was really good. Jimmy yeah. directed and uh, Jason played my, my played my son, and I think it was she would B.J. Ward played mm-hmm. my wife. She was Scarlet. So it was kind of, I thought it would be great, and a whole new world opening up for us, and they killed that. One. It was a good show too. And that, I mean, that, that just shows, that just shows a real wonderful respect right there. And, you know, just, just quickly, you know, let you know just how much I'm steeped into all of this, you know, like, you know, growing up back in 2017, my wife and I were going back and forth and, you know, trying to come up with the right name for our daughter. Originally, we were so convinced we were going to have a son. And then we discovered at our, at her latest appointment that it was going to be a girl. 
And funny enough, as soon as they said it's a girl, it you know looks like it's a girl. Stevie Wonders, isn't she lovely? Started playing on the intercom. So it was just like, okay, that's that's pretty beautiful. And then we've thrown around, you know, just different ideas and everything. And then we're sitting down watching TV, and all of a sudden she just goes, What about Scarlet? And uh, immediately that's where my my head goes. And I was just like, Yes, that's it. And then she goes, or oh, or maybe Charlotte. I was like, No, 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 you said Scarlet. Scarlet is it. And you know, over three years later can't think of any other name for her it it just it fits perfectly so great do you have you had bj on not yet i would love to have her on i i, I would love to i actually bought a from a what, what is what is her name she does uh retrocon but she uh, she had some different eight by tens to sell and one of them was of of uh, bj and I, and I was just like i have to buy that one and we're going sure to be thing, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing a, a convention in November in the Twin Cities I think it is or something. Oh wow! DJ and I will be in someplace Great Lakes or Twin Cities or something. And we're doing a convention together. So that oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I, I, we, were a, we were doing a big we were doing a big GI Joe thing. All of us were were doing the show, and mm -hmm. one of those days we were all so tired. And BJ said, "Gee, I don't have much to do in this script." And I turned around, I said, because your doll isn't selling. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> broke up. All, everybody fell on the floor laughing. It came out of nowhere, but I didn't have no idea that dolls were being sold to begin with. I was just, right. I didn't know they were making action figures. I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Because <laughs> your doll isn't selling. That's fantastic. And, and that's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to run with because like just looking at what, you know, what the producers did in Transformers the movie, you know, it's just like, we're bringing in this 86 line. So let's kill off the 84 line. And that just, that to me, it was just like, I, I get, you know, like as, as a fan, you know, someone who grew up with this movie, you know, someone who's celebrating it in all of August here, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, if they didn't do that, this would this would have gone the way of GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords, mm -hmm. you know. But if it the the way that they did it, it was just very ballsy. I, I would say it would probably be like the best way to do it is to say it is ballsy. They cut, they cut it. They cut. They cut it out. It was business. It's, yeah. it's business. It's not anything to do with. It's not. It's commercialism. It's nothing to do with class or you know, or. Uh, quality or whatever it's about business and it's it's about business with everything now pretty much yeah. so yeah so as the so i would be remiss if i did not ask about something else that you were doing in 1987 something that was bringing out you know like a, a brand new era for fans and that would be star trek the next generation yeah what was uh, what was it like being uh, being on that do you did you have a a feeling that this was going to go somewhere did you were you skeptical well, I, I, I didn't have any thought other than that I wanted to do it. I mean, Corey, Corey Allen was directing Rest His Soul at the time and mm -hmm. called me in. And I knew Corey. <clears throat> I'd worked for him before in Man of the City with Tony Quinn. He cast me in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was thrilled to come in and read for it. It wasn't, it wasn't given to me. And he asked me to read for a particular role. It was the role of Q. And mm -hmm. I didn't, it wasn't, I read for it. And then the producer that said, Michael, read for uh, Grappler Zone. So I came, I went out with the script and yeah. came back in 10 minutes. Is he ready? And I said, yeah. And I started to read. And I looked at the prototype of what Grappler looked like. And he looked like an old man with the long white hair and the whole big thing. So I did a whole kind of thing. And I started with this voice, you know, because he was older. So I did all of it. He said, no, 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 just use your own voice. I said, 
my own voice. I said, I sound like my testicles haven't dropped yet. <laughs> I said, he's going to be too young for this. He said, no, no, no. We just want to use your voice. I said, okay, fine. And yeah. I did my voice. And sure enough, they said, yeah, you, you got it. It's, it's yours. I went, whoa. And those days, it's yours. Is un- I mean, you just expected that. Nowadays, yeah. quite different. You have to wait a week, two weeks, maybe a month, and they give you a call if you're lucky. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it was, it, yeah, you got it. Well, call your agent. Excellent. And that what was, was it like? What was it like working with Patrick Stewart? And he's such a pro. I mean, yeah, I can say that he said they were all excited. I, at one point, Brett Sp- Spinner, Spiner, Spiner, Spiner. Yeah. See every now, I see every now and then. After about four days of four days of working, he said, "God, this makeup is driving me crazy." This thing. I said, "Will you shut up?" And he said, "What?" <laughs> I said, "Do you have any idea how big this is going to be?" Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to be able to. You're going to be able to. You're going to be able to buy and sell Johnny Depp by the time you're finished with this. Yeah. Said, you think so? I said, "Yeah, come on." And you, I'll put on the makeup. You want? I'll trade costumes with you right now. Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah." I said, "I guess you're right." I said, "Yeah, come on, Brent. You know, this is going to be huge. I'm hoping Grappler comes back, and uh, Grappler didn't. Right. And I think it was about maybe two or three years later, or four years later. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. I was at one of the studios, local studios, doing voiceover, and Patrick walked in. And mm. I said, Patrick, he said, Michael Bell, oh my God, Grappler is on. He said, we finished the show. He said, and I said, can we bring back Grappler? And they said, we don't know, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, thanks for thanks for the pitch anyway. Yeah. I, but they gave me uh, Deep Space Nine, the producers. Oh, I really? Like, I wound up doing um, three Deep Space Nines, guest starring in that. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you're, re- you're really steeped in Star Trek lore. You know, yeah, then, so. to that degree, yeah, I sure have, yeah. And listen, even Star Wars, I mean, nobody knows that, well, somebody knows, they, they all brought it to my attention. I replaced a voice in Star Wars. Really? Commander Willard. Commander <sighs> Willard, as she gets off the spaceship, and I say, Princess Aurora, thank God, or whatever the hell her name was, Aaliyah, whatever, whatever. Aaliyah, yeah. Thank God you're, you're Thank God you're, we were worried about you. Lucas brought me in to replace a couple of voices. I did a couple of voice replacements, but that's one of the voices that I became most recognized for. Oh, for the, uh, was it for the prequels? The original Star Wars. Oh, the original ones. I watched the dailies. Lucas had said, I want to show you what we're doing. And I watched the dailies. Of course, it's black and white. Yeah. And they're dancing with the thing. It looked like a flashlight. There was nothing going on. It was like, ah, and then I said, what the hell are they doing? And he said, yeah, it's, you'll see when the movie's finished. And I said, oh, okay. And then, and, he's, uh, and I said, oh, you have Alec Guinness. Wow, he's great. He's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then he said, here's the scene I want you to do the voice for, one of the scenes. And there's a bunch of guys sitting around the council. And Darth Vader walks in, says something. And one of the characters is, is English, says something to him. And Darth Vader looks at him. And the guy goes, ah. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I did his voice. And he said, and they played it back. And I said, can I ask a question? And Luke said, what? I said, why am I replacing him? And he said, well, because he's English. I said, Everybody's English. You probably filmed this in Britain, right? Except for the mm-hmm. boy, except for the two guys and her, Miss Celia. And he said, yeah. And I said, he's fine. He said, you think so? And I said, yeah, he's doing a good job. Why would I replace his voice? He's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't do myself out of a job. I'm sure you have other things for me to do, but leave him in. He said, all right, we'll leave him in. So mm-hmm. that owes me. And in the yeah. meantime, <laughs> when, they, when they went for that with Commander Willard, I said, sure. I mean, I think the guy's fine, but I, I got him here. I might have worked, so I worked. And I did Commander Willard. And then he said, we have a bunch of guys in spaceships for the Federation getting killed. So yeah. it was a lot. 
I'm out of here. Oh, oh I'm hit. Oh, you know, all that stuff. So right. Then when the time came, the movie came out, it was about a year later or two years later, I think the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Friends said, we're all going to go see uh, Star, Star Wars. I said, I don't want to see that. I've seen the, I've seen the, the dailies. I don't know. Oh, come on. Nah, come on. So they made me get online. And I'm standing on like, what am I doing here? And I said, mm-hmm. I have voices in this. They went, what voices? I said, I don't remember, but I did voice because I didn't remember. To be honest with you, I'm not being you know, yeah. proud here, but modest. I didn't know. And so we went inside the movie. And I wanted to see what I got as lost as everybody else did. I got caught up. Mm-hmm. I was awed. I was knocked out. And after it was over, we all went. And they said, what voice you? I said, who the hell remembers? Jesus, what an experience. <laughs> really is. Years later, it must have been about maybe three years ago or four years ago, my wife and I are going to a party for Kevin Michael Richardson. It's one of the big Oh, ones. yeah. Beautiful yeah. voice. He was having a party. And, and we were walking, and Mark and his wife were walking. And as Mark walks by, and I said, you know, I, I was in Star Wars. He said, no, you weren't. And I said, no, <laughs> you weren't. And Mark, I was in. He said, what did you do? I did I, I said, I know you did Star Wars, but I was in it too. And he said, what did you do? I said, I was the voice of Commander Willie. He said, no, you weren't. I said, yes, I was. <laughs> Absolutely was. So oh, that's great. I did, and, and, and I did, never said anything except that I get all these requests to sign autographs on this man's face, talking to, <laughs> talking to Carrie Fisher. I mean, it's a close-up. And I have to write Michael Bell, the voice of Commander Willie. I'm Chris yeah. Dead now, so obviously, right. The difference, but wow. But people knew, George. How did people know? It's not in the credits. There's no credits. Michael Bell. Yeah, they know that. And that's that's the fans. You know what can I say? You know, like we, you know, like we, you know, just give us a little bit of information, and you know, like we'll push our way through, and you know, collect as much as we can. You know, like that's. And, you know, that's something that you just know that that's that you're, you're part of something that's really something, really something special. Very exciting. Yeah. And you've got you've gotten to do that so many times. Like that's that's really just I mean, it's really just incredible. You know, the the amount of different projects that you've been a part of that yeah. have gone to such degree and are still, you know, br- you know, showing I showing never, legs. I never know. I mean, I did a thing for Kiss, the movie. Oh, the Phantom of the Park? Phantom of the Park. Yeah. I had to do the voice for Chris or somebody, one of the guys, a young fellow there. And I went up doing the whole film. And I'm at a convention. Someone said, and they gave me this photo. And they said, would you sign this? I said, why am I signing this? They said, well, you were the voice of Peter Chris. I said, how do you know that? It doesn't mm-hmm. say that. And they yep. no, we know. And mm-hmm. I suddenly get all these avalanche of photos of, to sign this kid's voice. It's yeah. my voice, but oh my god, that is so bizarre. That's that's amazing. So what? So when was it around the time that you that you also added voice director to your to your resume? I think it was when I did I did Peter Pan with Jason and Debbie Derryberry and oh my mind is going blank here for Captain Hook. Okay, Captain Hook. My mind is going. I got to You got to help me. Is it like Peter Pan and the Pirates or something? Or is it like Peter Pan, Pirates I, of Dark Water? Or? I didn't know. Peter Pan did it for Fox. And mm-hmm. Jason, Debbie, and a lot of other young actors. And Captain Hook, oh my God, this is awful. If, he, if he's watching this, he's going to kill me. Hmm. 
if I if if I if I had my phone right here, I'd be looking it up. But I deliberately left the phone left the phone outside. And he won an Emmy for it. And why can't I? Remember? Oh, oh, Tim Curry. Tim. Tim Curry. Yes, yes, yes. Tim. So Tim. Yes. Was my as soon as you said that, as soon as you said he won an Emmy, I was just like, well, who would have? Tim would have. So yeah. Tim Curry, thank you. Yeah. Tim yeah. was Captain Hook. I directed like eighty of those. Oh wow. And then I I directed the uh, then I cast Superman and then Ginny G- McSwain took over as director and then she cast I cast her as Lois Lois Lane and she cast <laughs> me as Lex Luthor. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. And what was it because of that connection to uh, Challenge of the Super Friends or was it just like the fact that you're there and you know, like are amazing at what you do. So why it's, not set you up as the villain? We were all, it was a small group of people at that point. Yeah. It was a small group of us. It was almost like a repertory company. Yeah. And, and new talent every now and then emerged, you know, people came in, Charlie came in and then P- Peter, and then somebody else came in. And then I think Rob Paulson was brought mm. in, you know, for different shows. And then we got to meet all new people and all work together. But there was yeah. like a concentrated group of actors that I'd work with in the beginning. Older mm-hmm. actors, as a matter of fact, playing roles. In fact, doing working with Mel Blanc. Really? What was it like working with Mel? Oh, it was that was that was a treat. Yeah, that was a treat. We did uh, uh, Speed Buggy together. Oh, no kidding! <laughs> yeah, and I was wow. the, I was the young ingenue, the young male lead in it. And, oh, that's great. Uh, he was. He did that wonderful. <laughs> Great. Oh, fabulous. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure you would agree with me that Mel belongs on the Mount Rushmore of animated, I, animation I, I've voices. I'm trying to get him an award through Screen Actors Guild. I'm trying to get him an award, but unfortunately, they, they say we don't give awards for, for people who've passed. And I said, mm. it would be a special award. I mean, he's never gotten an award for that. This, is what, this, is, this man was not just a marvelous voice. He was a wonderful actor. Maybe wonderful. name the award after him. The Mel Blanc Award. No, yeah. No, absolutely. For best voice animation. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. you'd say like, hey, I got a Mel. You know, yeah. like that's. I, that should tell, I should tell Noel that his son. We're good friends. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, just, you know, if, if you and, you know, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, making sure that this is this is out there. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I spoke to the powers that be at Screen Actors Go, the people in charge of the awards. I said, this would be a. An extraordinary award. You can show all this stuff. You just do a whole run of all the great different Mel Blanc characters, etc. And they said, uh, well, we don't do that. And I said, well, you should. You yes. Know, guys really should. Absolutely. He is, he is a gem. He is a bulwark. You know what his gravestone reads, don't you? Is it that's all folks? Yeah. Oh, that's... I was out there filming once for, I think it was Six Feet Under. I was a guest star on Six Feet Under. I was out there filming and I went, went there and I looked. Oh my God, there's Mel's. Wow. That's all folks. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I would, I would say, you know, like, you know, Mel, June Foray, Dawes Butler, Frank Welker. Yeah. You know, for, if I was, if I was to make don't a Mount Rushmore. Frank. Don't kill Frank just yet. No, no, <laughs> no. We're just going to have Frank just kind of like stand there and just like, just keep keep himself frozen in that, in that one position. Then when yes. he gets, a, when he gets a gig, he'll just, he'll step off. We'll put in a cu- uh, cardboard cutout in his place. And then he can go back there. So, yeah. <laughs> Mel had something very funny. I saw it on his license plate. We were working ahead of a bear. And I said, what is KMIT? Is that a famous radio station you worked at? 
He says, no, Bubba Lai. says, it means Kishmir and Tuchus, and which in Yiddish means kiss my ass. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's, you know, that's the characters of, of voiceover. You know, like, you know, what, what can you say? There was now uh, several years ago, there was the, uh, the movie that John DiMaggio did. I know that voice. Were you able to, I don't. I didn't know any of them. I didn't, I knew some of the people in it, but I didn't know John. I, uh, okay. People always ask me that. I said, how come you weren't in that? And I said, because I don't know him. I've never mm. worked with him to my knowledge. If I did, I it's peripheral. You know, yeah. I don't know. Did you ever get to see Community? Not yet. I, I've, I've, Community for some reason is just kind of past me, but I would love to, there are certain episodes that I definitely want to watch. And the G.I. Joe one is, is a major one. G.I. Jamerson. It's very, very funny. Yeah. They called my agent and mm-hmm. they said, we, we'd like to get Michael Bell to read for, uh, to audition for Duke because we don't know what he sounds like now. I think I was in my 70s at the time. Yeah. I said, we don't know what he sounds like. And they said, the agent said, well, they're going to call you. And I said, okay, great. And so just wait for the call and phone rings. And I knew it was going to be the producer. And I went, hello? And he said, that, yeah, can I speak to Michael Bell? And I said, oh, yeah, Grandpa. <laughs> I got on the phone. I went, hello? Voice <laughs> said, yeah, can, uh, Michael Bell. They say, I can get it, Michael Bell. <laughs> Michael Bell, the voice of Duke. I can get that to me. What is it? <laughs> and he went, I said, okay, knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe. Is that okay? He went, yeah, good. Okay, we'll call your agent. It's fantastic. <laughs> I said, guys, you know, my ass is dropping. My voice is not that different. Yeah. So, yeah. whatever. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, so with all of this, everything that you've uh, done, like over the years, doing the voice direction, doing the voice direction, what was it that prompted going in, you know, creating your own, creating your own curriculum? When you say, you mean teaching? Yeah. Teaching? Well, yeah. Like what, yeah. What was it like going into, into teaching? I started teaching in the eighties while I was still hot as it were in the industry. Yeah. I, I was teaching while I was working full bore because I really felt that there was talent out there that weren't really given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I had a theater. I had built an equity wave of theater out in the valley yeah. uh, called the West End Playhouse. And I used the theater as the venue. And I would teach, they'd be on stage and I had mics set up and I trained them. And I trained people like Rusi Taylor, the late Rusi Taylor, Bob Bergen. Oh, wow. I had a whole slew of students that came through. And I'd say about maybe 40% of them, maybe 50% of them went on to really great careers. And yeah. some of the others went on to other careers in announcing. I was at a, I was at a, a session once or something. No, I was, I was at a court proceeding. And a woman came over to me and she said, hi, my name is, I said, I said, you don't remember me. I said, no, she said, I'm an attorney. I went, okay. And she said, I was in your class. I took voice, voice animation in your class. I said, oh my God. And you became an attorney. She said, yes, you have no idea how it helped. Uh-huh. Not only that, it was great for me to teach my kids because here I was working with my kids at night. So when they go to sleep, I was able to do all the voices of the fairy tales. Yeah. And then I wound up being a good public speaker. And then I got into being an attorney. And it's helped me tremendously stand in court. Wow. But in class, I went, yay. There you go. Yeah. That voice, voice acting was kind of my sanctuary as well. Like that was uh, back in 2015. 
I lost my admin job that I was working and I was very much kind of, you know, down on myself and wondering what am I going to do next? And that's when I saw the documentary. I know that voice. And that reminded me, I was just like, I've loved voice acting all my life. That was, it was a big reason why my, my rekindling of acting, you know, started up. That's why, you know, it's a big reason why I went to college to study theater. You know, it's because voice acting was always there. And it was something like, I mean, I would, you know, having like known all these different shows and everything and just being able to, you know, just spiel off, you know, like any bit of dialogue, I became a decent mimic throughout, throughout the years. And it, that, prompted me into, you know, reaching out and just saying like, okay, you know, like I'm in St. Louis. So where can, where can I find like any sort of voice teaching? And I got directed over to one studio and did several weeks there getting behind the mic. And, and, and that led me into audiobook narrating. And, and so I've done that. I've done about a dozen audiobooks Great. right now. Great. And two of them are my own, two of them are my own books. So even better. Very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. I, I owe so much voice acting. So, yeah. Listening, that's hard work. I've done one audio book. It is, I found it very taxing. I was glad when it was finished and Mm -hmm. thankfully it won awards and got some credit from it. But, oh, I got to tell you, I never want to do that again. (laughs) Hard work. it's it, it it really is it really is but at the same time like once it uh, once you're done you know once you're finished with that book man it is so gratifying just like just feels like having having been able to do that like i've i've told i've told people that want to get into voice acting i was just and and uh, audiobook narrating the main thing i say is just like look you're going to be whispering sweet nothings into someone's ear for about 7 hours you got to make damn sure that every second counts and oh, yeah. okay well i wound up i wound up doing a book called the collaborator and because it takes place in Israel and Germany, and there are so many characters, that well, as long as I'm doing this, I'm going to do the characters as well. Yeah. So I wound up just doing a tint, so that people knew when they listened, that's who that character was. And I had to sort of, and the engineer, bless his heart, said, "Okay." After about maybe I think it was two hours, he said, "Okay, you didn't say anything just now, Michael. You're talking in tongues. Go home." I went, "Okay," because I was so tired. Wow. <laughs> and then it came back a week later, and then another another couple of days, and then and then finally we finished the book, and it got all kinds of awards and stuff, which was wonderful. But the point yeah. was, I said, I never am going to do that again. I am, yeah. that, that's lonely work. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. lonely work, and if I don't have to, and and I did it as a favor for a friend who was the author, he's a marvelous, marvelous, brilliant author. I said, I can't ever do this again. So uh, my kudos to you for having done that many, because I got to tell you, that's hard work. And, you know, I don't like working alone by myself anyway. I would rather work with other people. Yeah. Have, you know, people in the room with me. Wouldn't mind doing a book if there were two people doing the book. If I had a girl play the girl and a guy play the guy, which would be fine with me. And I'd play narrator. That would be cool. I'd love that. Yeah, but, there, are, there, are quite, there are quite a few books that do that. I know one of, my, one of my friends, actually, he was able to get Jonathan Frakes talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, he actually got Jonathan Frakes to narrate the male part of his book. And, it got, and I was able to actually help with that because the person who was doing the mixing only had band experience. So he was doing it in this certain way that just didn't work. So he needed someone to kind of rein it back in and make it palpable to... ACX for Amazon. Right. And 
fortunately, I was able to do that and it wound up winning an, um, an award for, from uh, Reader's Favorite. So right. he, sent, he sent me the, the, uh, the medal for it not too long after that. So nice. I, Good for you. Yeah, very but proud to po- have that. You pointed out something, George, earlier that I tell my class, and as I say, the one thing I say is you've got to study acting. Acting yeah. is so imperative. I mean, Rich Little was a marvelous mimic. Yes. Like, which is why he didn't do cartoons. I said, mm-hmm. there were some, some that were able, that were mimics that could act because they had some acting background that had the ability to do that. But you, you, it's not just a matter of imitating people. You can come up with a voice, but you better have the, the chops behind it. So yeah. I tell to join, especially if they're in L.A., to join the Groundlings, which is a wonderful improv mm. Top organization. A lot, lot of history there. A lot of history. Groundlings by Zoom. If they just, yeah. you know, they go to Google Groundlings, they can do it by Zoom. And they really can train beautifully by Zoom because they're marvelous teachers. Yeah. Uh, the take acting, above all, take acting, because that's your groundwork. That's your your basement. If you think just doing voices is the answer, because I have people go, I do a great voice. I said, that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. That's, that's just ephemeral. You know, you, you have to be able to commit that to a script and you mm-hmm. have to create that character. And it's got to make that character come alive because you've got a script that's not great. you got to make it come alive. Mm-hmm. Do that with a funny voice. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, uh, so I got to, so this would be a, a really big question then since we're, you know, I kind of, I don't want to, you know, Keep, keep here too much longer, but you know, like I would say when it comes to, when it comes to those who want to actually like take a, take a venture, take a journey into voice acting, what would you say would be like the first step that they would need to do in order to, in order to make that happen for themselves? And well, would it be, would it be about acting? Yes. The first thing they should do is should study. And no matter what city they're in, there's gotta be, an, there should be an improv group in that particular city. There should be some sort of acting coaches in that city. I would pick up Viola Spolin's book on improv, which is, which helps you develop characters and think on the spot. Some of your top actors today all studied improv, all created, all studied in Maya Rudolph being one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, these are marvelous, talented people. And that's, that's your training. Your mm-hmm. basic training is to, and also if they get an opportunity, I'm on YouTube and yeah. it's free. It don't cost you anything. It's a Michael Bell voice animation. And I teach for about an hour and a half. I teach some young groundlings how to do characters, how to help create characters vocally for an hour and a half. And there's wow. also my former partner who's passed, Lori Tritel, teaches an hour and a half of commercial approach, how to do commercials approach, vocal wow. commercials. So that's on YouTube. So it's Michael Bell voice animation. I think Laurie Trottel commercial voiceover. And it's all free. Wow. I'm definitely putting that in the show notes for, for this episode. So hopefully, you know, people that really want to go in this direction can go ahead and just easily click on that. Now, I've a lot of people have said, I know there have been a lot of people that have said that if you're not on, not on either coast, you know, like New York or Los Angeles, then you're going to have a really difficult time getting into animation. Would, would you, this day and age, would, is that still, is that still palpable? I don't think that's the case anymore. I really don't. I think represent, there's representatives. I think there are a couple of agencies. I think Atlantic may be an agency that represent people all across the nation because they're always looking for new talent. Sadly, not sadly for me, because I've been there, done that. I, you know, I got my chops and I got my, my career is done. But I think pretty much it's open now. There's, there's, there's all kinds of animation going across the country. There's yeah. 
animation, I think in Atlanta, there may be some animation going in New Orleans, there may be animation going in Texas. I mean, you know, there are small companies, they're not huge, mm-hmm. uh, especially if somebody sings and has a mm-hmm. wonderful voice and then can do animation as well, do, you know, a good actor, singer. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Just you know, put something together. I know that, you know who David Sobolov is, don't you? Yes, yeah. He's a yes. marvelous voice. He teaches also, and he does demos. I don't oh. do demos. He teaches David Sobolov, and you can probably reach him somehow or another. I don't know how to reach him. I can talk to him, but I can't give you his number. Right. <laughs> hey, everybody, call David. Say right. my uh, I, I would suggest that you try to reach David Sobolov through his agency or through, you know, however you reach him, through a website. And he, mm-hmm. teaches, and he probably teaches by Zoom, mm-hmm. and like I teach by Zoom. You know, I'm at michaelbellvoices.com. Yeah. They get to me that way and they'll get to my PA. And I'm going to have a last class, I think, beginning in July. But I think in, in terms of learning your basics, acting is, that's your basement. That's your basic. Yeah. You know, who am I? Who am I talking to? What, what, what is my character? What's my goal? What's the character's goal? Because other than that, it's just a lot of vocalizing. And that doesn't, that doesn't pay off there's too many good actors out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I that I would I would equate that with audiobook narrating as well because sure. you're not you're not just if you if you're just sitting there and reading text, that's going to come across and that's going to come across as incredibly boring. So but if you can you know bring some energy and some pace and you know you don't have to go full on Jim Dale and do like 100 different characters or something. Oh, Jim Dale. You know? I mean, Jim Dale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, if you're able to put a spin on that and create, you know, these characters and really make them come to life. One of my favorite characters that I ever narr- that I've you know ever narrated, I mean, granted, it's one of my own characters, but it's a female character. And I have so much fun playing her because I you know, like I mean, obviously, you know, like I wrote her and everything. So, I'm, you know, I'm biased, but it's you know, she's a very delicious type of character, somebody that can really, you know, open up and have some fun with. And that's so that, yeah. I'm sorry? That's always smart for a guy to play a female character. Yeah, yeah. And so before I put in my last question, I do have one one quick one. Is there a particular character like that for you that you just love going back to and just really revisiting and having some fun with and just going all out with? Probably two. One of which would be Chucky's dad, Chaz from Rugrats. Yeah. Wonderful character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Grandpa Boris, the Jewish grandpa in Rugrats. Nice. Because he's based on my grandfather on my mother's side and my grandmother on my father's side. Mm-hmm. And they're like the same person. They both came from the same areas. And those are two really solid characters that I adored playing. Would love to continue playing. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and I think um, um, if everybody, when Christmas time comes around, takes a note and watches A Wish for Wings that work. Opus. Opus, yes. With the voice of Opus. Uh, yes, Bird. yes, I remember that. Oh, it's a great, really sensational show. Yeah. For kids to watch and adults. And so funny too. I mean, it's, that was, that to me, I think that's the only time that we've seen Opus in animation, I think. So it, um, I, your voice was perfect for that. It was so, it was so much fun. Everybody in town read for it. And they said, really? everybody but Frank Welker and Michael Bell to read for it because everybody would, we don't want them to read for it because we want to get new talent. So they had everybody read for it. They mm-hmm. hired somebody. 
and it didn't work out. So they said, okay, we're recasting again. Let's bring in uh, Frank. And so they brought in Frank and then they redid it. They, they, he did the whole thing. And then they said, it's not working. And he was right because he, he was great for Santa Claus and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they said, well, let's bring Michael Bell back. So they brought me in again. And mm -hmm. they brought two or three other people in. And then uh, Spielberg brought it home and played the tapes for his son. And he said, who is, who is, who's going to play this character? And he said, I like this voice, which was me. So I wound up doing it. But I wound up having to fill Frank's pace. Because they'd oh, done it. They'd already, already animated over it. Okay. Animated it. So I'm going, oh, uh, that's not what I would have done. And I do it yeah. right. Not what I would have done. It's a different approach. But I had to dub it. Yeah, it worked out well because it, you know, Frank is so good. It's, it's not as if he's going to stretch it out. So it worked out well. So I said, "That's fun. That's really great. That's excellent. Excellent. That's the industry. That is the industry. Had they just given Frank and I a shot in the beginning, they would have known. They would have saved so much too. So much time. So much. That's. Money. I mean, that's that's the Godfather right there. You know, like they were talking. James Conn told the story about how he was doing some rehearsals with you know himself, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, and Francis Coppola was doing this whole thing and everything. And he and James said that that cost about like four corned beef sandwiches. And then they went through the whole audition process that Paramount was insisting that they go through just one after another and just like months and months and months and so much money that they were throwing out there. And who do they wind up going with? The four corned beef sandwiches. Four corned beef sandwiches, exactly. Of course. Yeah. A standard procedure, of course. Yep. They, think too, they think too much, just, you know. Well, they don't trust the actors, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, there needs to be like some, there needs to be some people with some instincts. With, with this, sure there story. are. I'm sure there are. I'm no, I know they're out there, but unfortunately, somebody gets a position they want to be. You know, they they took Rugrats off after a couple of years. Uh, I think uh, Vanessa Coffey was the head of Paramount. She said, "All right, that's enough of this." And then mm. the, the the results were overwhelming. People were furious that took the show off the air. And I think she yeah. lost the job. I'm not sure, or she left or something. But then we came back on and then boom, won awards and did the movies. And this is before the movie. We did, I mean, it just took off like crazy. Yeah. So, wow. uh, you know, just it, it, decisions. It's, it's all, it's all subjective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And where can, uh, where can my, my listeners find you on social media? As usual, as I say, michaelbellvoices.com. Mm -hmm. Pretty much it. And if they watch the film Luca, they might be able to pick out my voice somewhere in Luca. Oh, okay. Pixar Disney film. I can't tell you what I'm doing next because I'm not allowed to talk about it, but that'll come out soon enough. And that's about pretty much it. I don't do a hell of a lot of social media. I'm, I get a little leery. I ran into a situation with somebody on uh, Facebook on one of those messenger things. Mm -hmm. People say, gee, I hadn't heard from you. And I say, hi, how are you? Or they wish me happy birthday. And I say, thank you. And this guy just went bonkers. I mean, threats and all kinds of stuff. So I'm coming to get you. And then so I stay clear now. Understandable. Understandable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I cannot, I, I can't really put into words just how amazing this, this whole time has been. And I am, you know, just incredibly flattered that you were able to take the time to, to, to be here. And I hope that all of you, you know, that, that want to go into voice acting are just remember that not only is this a business, but it's also the business of voice acting. You have to get that, you have to get that foundation going. You have to build yourself up. You have to 
and you finally just have to get out there because you never know who you're gonna who you're gonna wind up you know working with you never know who you're gonna wind up learning from and you know just there's re- there's really no no better way that I can I can say to just to kind of wrap this up so for Michael Bell this is George Soroy saying to all of you ever upward and I will see you next week Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today.